everybody and welcome to an informed life radio on 1150 am kknw and streaming live to chd tv so glad you could join us this afternoon or whenever it is that you're listening to us uh, sometimes it will be recorded um i'm always inspired even though it's been a couple of years now by the, the theme song that we have that we need a revolution and you know we need this peaceful health revolution and and by gum it's coming it's it's slow in coming, but it's 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 on its way. It's massive to transition the entire globe from the medical, pharmaceutical, industrial complex over to real health that is defined by what really works as opposed to what makes money. Um, the past few years has revealed the systemic infiltration and corruption of of health by this industry, but it is coming. And, and part of this revolution, a driving force behind it, besides every single individual becoming educated and living an informed life, is the legal actions that are being undertaken by some brilliant and brave individuals in this nation. Um, I've got with us today Dr. Javier Figueroa, otherwise known as Dr. X, and he is joining me today. Hello, Hello. Dr. X. Good to be <laughs> How are you? I'm doing just fine and looking forward to the series of interviews we're going to do today. Should be exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. It's 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 great to see all this work coming together and beginning to make some progress. So today we are bringing on the show a gentleman by the name of Pete Serrano of the uh, Silent Majority Foundation. Hello. Hello. Is it okay if I just call you Pete? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> we're we're kind of casual here on this show. Um, so welcome so much to the show. I'm going to uh, read a little bit about you from the website. So you are the director and the general counsel for the Silent Majority Foundation. Your first job out of law school was with a small water litigation firm in Washington, D.C., where you sued the government to stop illegal rulemaking. That is so important right now because what we're seeing is as um, the powers that be see how what a watchful eye we have on our legislatures across the country. They're now trying to sneak behind the scenes and do it through rulemaking to, to capture some of our freedoms. So I love that your roots are right there where this whole fight is going. Since that time, Pete has fought for open government to protect private business and individual rights. So woohoo! <laughs> That's yeah. been a career-long battle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, and have you met Javier Figueroa? This is Dr. X. So, No. Is he uh, Professor X's cousin? Uh, yeah, but I have hair. <laughs> <laughs> He's the hair one, right? Yeah. <laughs> nice to meet you, Doc. Good, good to meet yeah. you as well. He's a PhD in, in neurobiology. So, you know, I'm I'm the mama bear and he's my... He's my smart brain over there, so I can ask him those those tough questions. Um, so, Pete, why don't you explain uh, to um, 
Javier and I, the journey, like where were you pre-COVID as far as who you were as an individual, your thoughts about health and vaccines and where were you just before COVID hit? Yeah, you know, I mean, on the health and vaccine component, I, I try to live a healthy life. Uh, I was getting into the gym much more before COVID uh, because I had more free time on my hand. I'm a father of three. Uh, so my wife and I have been married uh, since 2009. So that's uh, 13, almost 14 years now. We have three children, nine, six, and three. The six and three will be seven and four in about a week, week and a half. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so... You know, pre-COVID, I, I was working for a state of Washington agency as in-house counsel. And then I slid into a permitting role where I was actually helping develop the first new modular reactor technology. Well, excuse me, I wasn't helping develop the technology. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a professor. I'm not a doctor. Um, I was helping with the permitting component of that. And so, uh, you know, my legal mind of having done these rulemaking, having done this administrative law for nearly 15 years, you know, that was really up my alley. I sit mm -hmm. on Pasco City Council uh, for anyone that doesn't know. I mean, I, I assume most listeners are here in Washington, but Pasco is one of the tri-cities down in southeastern Washington. We're about 80,000 people. Um, I'm in my second term as a city councilman. So I've been a councilman for about five years. And pre-COVID, I was just, you know, life was good. Um, I, I think probably where most people were kind of just living life. I had taught at WSU Tri-Cities Extension for a while. Um, initially, I came up here seven years ago to work for the Department of Energy. And my second lawsuit with the Silent Majority Foundation was against the Department of Energy. <laughs> the right full circle. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and, and so, again, life was just kind of good. Kids were dancing, and I mean, they still dance, but, you know, it was kind of playing that young family professional role. And then, again, doing the city council thing. And then, to your point, COVID kicks in, and people start reaching out to Councilman Serrano, right? They, most of them know that I'm a lawyer by trade. And uh, they reached out, I, in particular in Pasco, there was a place called Shakey's Pizza. And if you've not been here, yeah. it's you know, pizza, beer, video games, all the stuff, right? I didn't and, know and those were still around. Those I oh, remember yeah. Shakey's no. from when I was a kid, yeah. Yep. And, and beer is very important in this story because Shakey's is licensed by the Liquor Cannabis Board because mm. it sells alcohol. And mm -hmm. they... they enforcement action against them by liquor cannabis board for not forcing masks on their patrons. So liquor cannabis board came in and said, Hey, you know, your patrons aren't wearing masks. What are you doing about this? Governor says everyone wears a masks, you know, and, and here we are, we're the liquor cannabis board. We're deputized to enforce this. Well, you're really not. And so, you know, I took my rulemaking and administrative law background, and we did two things with the Shakey's thing. I mean, we did a lot of things with it, but uh, I'll tell two or three stories with that. One, we actually helped them write uh, their defense for a motion for summary judgment. And unfortunately, I think eventually the ownership changed and, and the case kind of fell through the cracks. Um, but we helped them do all the legal analysis. But with that, I started bird dogging Liquor Cannabis Board and labor and industries and those are kind of those were at that time two of my primary targets who were enacting these were two executive agencies of the state of washington who are not authorized to carry out governor's proclamations in fact if you read the governor's proclamations it said 
that you can be enforced uh, up to a gross misdemeanor. Well, none of those agencies can bring a gross misdemeanor. That's your sheriff, your city PD, potentially Washington State Patrol, but not Liquor Cannabis Board, and, and certainly not Labor and Industries. And, and so the enforcement mechanism of the governor's proclamations was not such that these executive agencies had the ability to actually do something. Wow. But the governor said, well, you can and we can. And Dr. X, I, I don't know if you're muted or if I'm just not hearing you. Um, I just want to make sure your sound's on because oh, I'm not. Can you there hear There we that? go. Okay. Yes, yes. I just wanted to throw that out there because I, I could see your mouth move and I wasn't hearing the sound. I just want to. Perfect. <laughs> All good. So, so, you know, we start again with the lawsuit for, for these folks and then Laker Cannabis Board tries to make a permanent rule saying we will enforce any governor's proclamation prospectively, meaning to the future and currently. And, and so we actually wrote this, or I wrote, this was pre, uh, pre-Silent Majority Foundation. I wrote this rulemaking challenge. Um, I'm heavily involved in, again, local politics. And so I circulated this and I said, folks, you all need to, I don't care if you say you guys are jerks or you take and literally cut and paste my comment we need to stop this. And at that point, I think we had like 350 people bring comments. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And and so you can imagine what happened. That rule didn't go anywhere. They stopped the rulemaking. And this, again, this will eventually come full circle to our work with Informed Choice of Washington uh, in our recent rulemaking experience on that. But um, so then on top of that, I, I got there were two other kind of pet projects. We worked with a lot of other local businesses to help them uh, kind of hedge off these liquor cannabis board folks. You know, interestingly enough, if you look at the state statute, liquor cannabis board actually has to have permission. Uh, Well, let me restate that. Liquor cannabis board is supposed to get permission. There are certain opportunities where they can actually come in and essentially knock and announce as as would a sheriff with a warrant now obviously a sheriff can keep them out of your restaurant um but there there were these elements where we were challenging these folks and so we worked with various restaurants and small industries saying hey look if liquor cannabis board comes here's your response if labor and industries comes here's your response and you know Fast forward, we helped another bar um, up in Snohomish for a little while. And then um, unfortunately, there there were just some things that 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 case wasn't going well. And we said, hey, look, we've gotten you as far as we can. We're not going to be able to take it any further. Right now, we're representing a gym where labor and industries assessed like $111,000 in fines for 10 days of being open during COVID. Yeah. Um, so we're in discovery on that. And I'm really excited to send some discovery for those who don't know, that's the process in a lawsuit where you get to ask your opponent questions. And so we're sending these inspectors who have admittedly said, well, we had evidence, so we didn't have to go in. Huh. We had evidence, so we didn't have to call the owner of the fitness facility who happened to be deployed at the time, but you know, neither here nor there, right? Deployed, um, you mean in the military? Yeah, so he is a state guardsman, uh, you oh. know, our, you know, the Washington Guard. He happened to be in Germany for COVID-related issues, and, um, you know, they didn't call him. They didn't inspect this facility. They took pictures of four people going in and out. Um, whether they were employees or not, they don't know. So anyway, through discovery, my ultimate goal is to show that they failed to conduct the inspections that were necessary, that they can't just levy this fine for no basis. And so anyway, this is back to the shaky thing. So it got me involved with local restaurants and bars and other small businesses, helping them stand for their rights. 
And then eventually it, it culminated with me bringing a reopened PASCO ordinance, which didn't even get to a floor vote. Like, you know, and, and for those of you who know, Southeastern Washington is about as red as my shirt is. At least we right. believe that. Um, well, in Pasco, the city council, then I was a three, four minority as far as the conservative thinkers. Yeah. Okay. Right. Exactly. What? Um, yes. Now I'm a two, five. Um, allegedly it's a two, two, three where two are really allegedly nonpartisan. Anyway, we could get into that. That's a whole nother show. Um, <laughs> but uh, at the time it was certainly a three, four split. And when, when I ran my ordinance, I remember the woman who's now the mayor saying, well, you know, this, this is something that could create liability for the city. We're concerned about this. And I, yes, right. That was my response. Right. And, and I said, and she said, well, you're a lawyer, bring a lawsuit. You do something like do something. Don't come into this room and tell us to do something. Go do it on your own. And I thought, you know what, Blanche, that's, that's I mean, one, we're elected to do this. Exactly. You know, we can argue about that here, there. But again, I knew I wasn't going to win it. Um, and, and I said, you know what? Maybe I should do something. And so months passed. This was uh, late 2020, early 2021. And I'm working out with uh, one of our directors, Rob. And we're working out in his garage because the gyms are closed. And one day, you know, I, I remember doing my curls in the mirror and where I'm just complaining about no one's doing anything. No one's doing anything. No one's doing anything. You know, he's got six daughters. I've got three kids. And we're talking about our kids lack of a future. And I remember literally looking as I'm doing I'm lifting and I it, the thought came just there's the guy you have the qualifications, Pete. You're complaining. You can do something. You're not like a guy that has no idea how the legal system works. You're not a guy who doesn't understand legislative processes. You're the guy that's got the tools in the shed, like stop jaw jacking in the gym <laughs> or the club and do it. something. And, and so, you know, shortly thereafter, uh, I got involved with the Inslee recall separate from Silent Majority Foundation, met uh, Eric, who was, who was a director for a while, and then met Vince, who's a director still and you know from there i had a guy reach out to me who works at coyote ridge it's it's a prison facility here in franklin county and he <laughs> said hey i'm gonna get fired because of the governor's uh vaccine mandate and what can i do and i said you know what this is a place to start and so for a while i was working you know my day job and then i'd kind of moonlight or not sleep <laughs> you know for days on end writing these briefs. I remember one point, you know, I was, again, I was still working at this point and I ended up, uh, I had a, a 24 hour turnaround for a motion. So I think I got like 45 minutes of sleep that day. And, you know, it was fortunately work from home. Um, I mean, it's not part of the story I generally admit to had its, had its peak benefits, we'll say. And yeah. so, um, so anyway, going from there, ultimately as of like, Last August, we decided to create Silent Majority Foundation. And then as of November, I said, you know what, this is my full time job. And, you know, whether or not we have donations sufficient to do it, I'm going to try like heck. And if we're not funded, we're not funded. And I've I can at least look at my kids and say the guy in the mirror exists. Right. right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it wasn't just the figment of my imagination. And so from there, I mean, we've been tremendously blessed. Uh, we're still, again, we're a year into this with Silent Majority Foundation. We've brought on staff. I've got a full-time paralegal. Uh, you know, I'm able to float my salary and we've got a part-time attorney that 
She's actually a phenomenal attorney, a lady named Maureen West out of Colorado. You may, you know, for those who run in the health circles, she used to be an attorney, assistant attorney general that did a health law for their department of health. Um, and so I, I, with my rulemaking background and with her specific, the health law, I really thought that we'd make this phenomenal team and she's great on these administrative cases. You know, I've, I've got the litigation that I can bring forward. And so ultimately we're just incrementally building out who Silent Majority Foundation is, but fundamentally we are you, right. you know, eventually I want to grow into loud majority. Um, yeah. we, <laughs> we chose the name Silent Majority because we know there are so many people that are scared to stand up and mm-hmm. say, I'm concerned. I'll be called a racist. I'll be called a homophobe. I'll be called a whatever phobe or ist or, you know, anti X. I mean, I didn't listen to the president's speech last night, but it sounded like he was really blaming all of the problems on those of us who are willing to stand for conservative principles. And and so people are afraid to be labeled. And so we said our mission with silent majority is threefold. One, it's to educate, it's to educate you of what your rights are. And then, you know, if you can take that education and stand up for yourself, we'll help you advocate for yourself. So you want to come to Pasco City Council and tell Pete Serrano he should open Pasco during the pandemic. We will give you the tools to say that. And then ultimately, fundamentally, we litigate things. That's like kind of a tripod of our mission. Educate. Um, I just what I just talked about. And I, it's <laughs> slipped into mind. Okay. Yeah. And, and then litigate is the third uh, component. And so, you know, I feel like I've been tremendously blessed to be part of this, you know, to see this creation kind of actually grow up. And it's mm-hmm. fun. I mean, I'm looking like beyond the camera, I see my whiteboard and I, I'm the crazy man with this whiteboard of like, you know, I remember Russell Crowe and the beautiful mind and he's got the papers up. Right. <laughs> That's my whiteboard. <laughs> These scrawlings that, you know, uh, probably in 10,000 years, they'll say, which Egyptian wrote this, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You got a D in fourth grade and it never improved. (laughs) So, um, you know, certainly don't carry that with me, right? (laughs) Um, But no, I mean, I've got my my notes on the board of we've got probably five or seven open litigation actions. We've got several rulemaking challenges again. And that's that's kind of brings us full circle to what we're Mm -hmm. we've done all and how we want to challenge what the state keeps bringing down. Ironically, just as we jumped on, I got the Department of people say I'm crazy for even looking at this, the Department of Health's Chiropractic Quality Assurance Commission and their rulemaking and their COVID Uh, rules that still exist. Well, you know, my friends are chiropractors and I, I sent them an email and said, hey, do you realize that now you have to be trained on health equity? Health equity. Health equity, right? It's like a, an additional over. I think they have a four-year certification of continuing education. Like twenty-five of the hours of that four-year period has to address health equity, and that's a rule, not a legend. That is well. So it, it, its foundation is a, in a gross state senate bill. So there's there's kind of uh, the this, and this is the problem with our state uh, and probably all legislatures and. I've got some friends that are probably going to be really angry with me for saying this that are listening. Um, I love our some of our legislators, but they're lazy. And, and I'm not trying to call our friendlies out. I'm call, calling the general body out because what happens is they'll write a, a, a 10 point rule, you know, Department of Chiropractic or Department of Health Chiropractic 
Quality Assurance Commission can do these 10 things. Well, bullets one through nine are very specific. It's the minutia. You can touch person in this way and you can't do this. And But then number 10, and this is where I, I call out the lazy, lazy legislature, as I love to call it. Number 10 is, and other things that the commission sees fit to implement oh, its rules. That's no, 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 no. So you, you sign this check and the first nine are like, man, it's you're getting a dollar ten a month. <laughs> Great. Uh, the last one is fill in the blank. However much you want to name your price, you got it. And that's the problem with our legislature. Yeah. And I do have to call them out for this, because when you give that blank check, I mean, you look at the way Jay Inslee just decimated the, the state and our civil rights for two years and, mm -hmm. and is continuing. Oh, you know, yeah. there's a very real that it's continuing uh, and we're actively in litigation on that but it's continuing because he has this rcw revised code of washington 43.06 in, in the sub 200s from 210 and 220 is where his authority really comes and in 220 it says he can do all these things and as he sees fit as he sees fit, you know, and that's, mm -hmm. that's the problem. And when you look at the real, real basis of it, it's in revised code of Washington, 43.06.010. He's got one, the legislature expanded his authority of like, right. he can tell the attorney general to do certain things. Like that's a separately elected body, you know? <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. so anyway, we could get really into the weeds on this, but again, it, it ends the 16th bullet point is as needed. And we've got to call the legislature out. Yeah, and I agree. And I was just having this conversation. I was interviewed on a, a radio here in Tennessee uh, this morning. Everywhere, legislators are inundated with too many bills in very yep. short sessions. They are asked to rule on, to vote on subjects with no depth of understanding of it. It goes lightning right. fast. They pass things without thinking. And sometimes the things they thought they thought about, like the emergency uh, authority of the governor, um, you know, in hindsight, our legislators were appalled at how it was misused because they absolutely did not you know, I heard a couple of legislators a couple of years ago when all this started, they they so regretted voting for that in 2019. They feel so betrayed on how it was used. But even in like this free state of Tennessee, where I now live, um, same thing. I mean, we, we just saved by skin of our teeth a couple of really bad bills that were slipped in and passed out of committee because committees had no idea what they were voting. It was just thrown at them and but a couple of years ago here in Tennessee, they voted on to give um, all the state universities the ability to set their own immunization schedules. Are you now? What, well, when you go back and you watch the committee hearings and you hear what was explained of why we would like to have this, it was really to ease the burden of, of collection of proof because they included in there such things as like if, if you had gone to school in, in through the Tennessee school system, you don't need to provide proof of immunization because, you know, it, they went through the school system. They have it. If you're in the military, you know, they, you could tell by watching the video of the explanation that it wasn't to add new things. It was to help them set, you know, um, the requirements and to ease the burden of monitoring it. But but. This year, what was just filed at the end of June was rulemaking that they have the authority 
to make. Um, but it, luckily, it's a long, complicated process um, where they actually have to go back to a committee at the legislature for approval. But this is one of the things they want to give themselves the authority to do. Um, besides the other vaccines that are required for um, college students here in, in Tennessee, um, additional immunizations may be required in accordance with the CDC recommended immunization schedule in response to an epidemic, pandemic, or emergent communicable disease outbreak. And they said, well, we just want to be able to react quickly if something happens, okay. which is the worst time to react quickly with a pharmaceutical drug that has not been tested is in an emergency, right? Um, and so when the legislature, we knew their intent by looking at the video, but the language, the letter on the page in the law they passed said they, that universities can set their own immunization schedules, period, you know? So I, I completely understand. They, they want to make it broad enough, but they make these things so broad that later on they can really regret what they what they right. gave. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the tough part is, you know, we're always, you know, so there's the one side where you feel bad for those good legislators who are actually trying to do the right thing. Right. And then, quite frankly, those who hold the bag are we the public. Right. Mm -hmm. And. And fundamentally, we can only bird dog so many bills, even with technology and the ability to kind of comb through them. We can't mm -hmm. be there, A, to follow and B, to testify on behalf of every single bill. Right. Um, you know, and then that just assumes that they'll actually listen to you. Right. right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we had a couple of thousand people show up to testify against a bad bill in 2019 where we lost the personal exemption to the measles. Um, they only let, they didn't let the public speak. They let a panel of experts speak. We brought right. in um, Bobby Kennedy and Del Big Tree and some other wonderful speakers. Um, but yeah, they didn't, it, it didn't phase them. They had their marching orders from, you know, from wherever. Right. And our, our number one enemy, and this, I think this is really going to be a good time to share with you. I have been saying for years, public health enemy number one is public health. It's not the pharmaceutical industry. It's, it, you know, they, the, the entities that are spending our money should be standing between us and pharma are the ones who are actually doing their bidding, doing their promoting, doing their arm twisting. And I'm going to show you, um, some of my regular listeners already know about this, but it always bears repeating. Um, this really should not be. This is AIM, the Association of Immunization Managers. Um, are we seeing this here? Good. There we go. So um, first, let me go over to their corporate alliance. Let's see. Hopefully this will follow about corporate alliance. Is that following? Yes. Yep. Awesome. Okay. So every single head of every immunization department in every state in the U.S. and territories belongs to AIM, the Association of Immunization Managers, and a couple of people in their staff do as well. It is a collaboration with the pharmaceutical industry. Here is their corporate alliance. <laughs> oh Platinum members, Merck, Pfizer, <laughs> Sanofi, Sequeris, Janssen, AstraZeneca, VBI, GSK, 
their gold corporate alliance. Here we have Moderna, STS Health, their silver corporate, and then you've, you're, you know, you're going Dynavax, I think they do flu vaccines. Bavarian Nordic, I believe that is the new Ginio's um, monkeypox vaccine. Mm -hmm. Novavax, they've got a new COVID shot out. And then you've got various other companies that are associated in some way with the whole um, vaccination cult, we will call it. Um, so th th this is rather alarming, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Uh, and if you go on their research and uh, policy, let's see if it'll follow me here, see if I can find it really quickly. Um, conducting research advocating member-driven policy resources. I'm not going to be able to find it quickly, but they have a, um, a policy that's a memorandum of understanding in which they agree to share policy information with the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and, you know, this, this whole back and forth of what they can share. So Bernadette and Form Choice Washington, we get three minutes of public comment before various committees or whatever. But they're out having cozy lunches and they are having entire three-day conferences like the one that just ended yesterday in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. It was August uh, 30th through September 1st, AIM Leadership in Action and who should attend. So if you can see that photograph there, the gal in the middle, that's Michelle Roberts. She's with Washington State. She was the immunization manager. I forget her title now, um, but she's pretty close underneath the Secretary of Health in Washington State. So um, I'm going to go down. The thing that I found really appalling, health and safety. They do have a vaccination policy for this conference. You're required to get the vaccine, but you don't have to re, um, provide proof. It says by registering, you affirm your support for vaccines and acknowledge that you are up to date or medically exempted from COVID-19 vaccination. Individuals with religious or philosophical objections to the COVID-19 vaccine are asked not to attend out of respect for AIM's mission and AIM's members work to eliminate vaccine preventable diseases, as well as to mitigate any risk to other attendees. Um, all right. So where do you start? Where do you right. even start? So these are the people who purchase, promote, they, they educate, they don't educate, you know, I'm doing some air quotes here. Um, they push out vaccine hesitancy scripts to doctors to teach them how to coerce. They teach something called the presumptive method. They teach doctors in the state, they teach doctors in every state, our public health dollars, that when, you know, Mrs. Smith comes in with little Johnny, Instead of saying, would you like to get your child vaccinated today? You just say before you go out the door, oh, look at it. It's time for little Johnny's COVID and flu shot. Nurse has got those all drawn up. I'm going to just step out. It's, it's been great seeing you. Bye-bye. Uh, and then the nurse comes in with the shots. No informed consent. It, it's, I mean, how illegal. I mean, it's just it's illegal on so many levels. <laughs> so informed consent just kills me right now because I, I just spent a week you know, defending a physician's assistant down in Washougal Camas, down by Vancouver, 
And for those who aren't in Washington, there is a Vancouver, Washington, not BC. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I was part of a team of lawyers defending this guy's license. And, you know, they hit him so hard on where's your informed consent to not get the shot? Where's your informed consent? Wait, did you say informed consent not to get the shot? Yeah. Are you- well, right. And so, so then we're looking through, <laughs> and this is the Washington Medical Commission, right? Oh, my God. So the, the crazy thing when you defend someone in, in their medical licensing, whether it's a nurse, doctor, et cetera, this time a physician's assistant, your, your judge is appointed. He's part of the he's an administrative judge for the Department of Health. Your, the, your representation on the other side is on behalf of the state and on behalf of the commission, which is also an appendage of the state. And then your quote unquote jury is in this case, it was four members of the Washington Medical Commission. (laughs) Right. And so fundamentally, your fair trial occurs in this case, 10 months after. And then then we've been sitting waiting on a decision for three weeks. So probably a year after we'll finally appeal it to a superior court if, if that's how we decide to wrap up this case. That's where your fair trial comes in after a year of being out of work on a temporary suspension of a license. But we looked through the several thousands of pages of medical records in the hospital. Um, Sorry. Yeah, no worries. Can you hear me? (laughs) Yes. Um, My bad there. Sorry. No worries. Um, So after we looked through the thousands of pages of medical records, and my question was, where's the informed consent on remdesivir from the hospital? Right? Yeah. Where's the? Oh, well, it's there. No, you ask the physician's assistant for like lengthy because he actually had notes discussed vaccine pros and cons. I mean, I don't know of any doctor that sits down and types ten pages of informed consent notes or even a paragraph or a sentence. No one about informed consent. <laughs> really, is it even charted? No, and and isn't it supposed to be the standard is what your average doctor would do. They're asking him to produce something the average doctor never does. Yeah. And that's the fundamental disparity that we're fighting against. And and this isn't the only one that I'm working on. I'm I'm working with other doctors. And some of these, it's pure speech-based. And the only way, you know, we handle the AIMS, the Washington Medical Commissions of the world is we have to target these individuals and their pocketbook. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is sad because you're talking about people who are just average everyday earners. They're out there, they're working for their, you know, wives and kids or whatever others, respective spouses and their children. And I don't want to sue someone who's barely making it by, you know, gosh, dang it. Sorry. Uh, I don't want to sue someone who's barely scratching by right. and, and bankrupt them. But at the same point, if these are the people that are carrying out orders, at some point, the foot soldiers have to get taken out, right? Exactly. Yeah. No, there, there's no other way around it. And the fact that you have uh, all these medical boards and all these sub rules and subgroups where you get get attacked by a thousand different directions for doing what is right, you know, then that, that you know, that's, that becomes a form of lawfare, mm-hmm. yeah. indirect lawfare. Yeah. Pete, do you see any avenue toward, you talked about discovery, and since 1905, we've had a problem with courts siding with 
what they say is majority opinion with public health and not wanting to weigh in on the science. And what we have now, of course, is, you know, a capture of the judicial system. You've got all these boards and agencies, Department of Health, which are just pharma, swimming in pharma. Um, I want to see discovery on the masks, on these shots, on the lockdowns and all of this. So, so that the truth will have to be revealed and, um, you know, we can somehow depower them. I, I'm not sure how we go about that. Do you see any avenues where that sort of information will be um, able to be discovered? Yeah, I, I think it's it's coming. I do think it's coming. I mean, obviously, we've had a handful of whistleblowers jump up. Um, we've seen that with Senator Johnson and his various elements. And it, it's really interesting. It's a, ma- a multifactorial issue, right? So you mm-hmm. have the discovery element. Um, I've told folks before I sue a commission or something like that. I always seek the same information through the Public Records Act. Uh, Uh, Because in Washington, the beautiful thing is if you have a Public Records Act and they intentionally or don't disclose it, they're on the hook for anywhere from one to $100 per page per day that they don't disclose that. It's it's a natural damage. Now, the judge gets to determine, look, if it's 10,000 pages, he's not going to give you $100 per day for 100 days, you know, a million dollars a day. You're not going to get that. And, and usually what fundamentally you see is a settlement come out of it. But I've seen attorneys make good livings. And I don't necessarily love it uh, off of off of bad Public Records Act responses. But I, I tell you this is I bring the Public Records Act request and then I ask for the same stuff in discovery. And if in one place they don't give it to me, I either would and it's not happened yet, but it, I would ask for sanctions of the attorney so that they're on the hook if they intentionally d- don't disclose something that I got through the Public Records Act. Hey, I asked for this. There's no privilege basis. You should have disclosed that. You know, judge issues sanctions against co-counsel because mm-hmm. I've got the document in my hand. Mm-hmm. Um, or better yet, if if the agency doesn't disclose it in Public Records Act, you can sue them for that dollar to 100 range per day. Um, and so I think that's going to be an effective tool. Um, I, you know, questions about public records. Um, I've always been somewhat confused. Um, I've, I've done several of them over the years. And I don't know if it's this way everywhere, but in Washington State, when you like do a request of the immunization department at the Department of Health, the, the public records office reaches out to the immunization department and asks them for the records re-requested. So the very agency you do not trust who does not want you to have these records are the ones responsible. And we really don't know if they don't give us documents we don't know exist. You know, it's, it's an honor system. And I tell you once I got such a runaround from a state epidemiologist that I ended up doing a public records request on my public records request. So I could find (laughs) out the discussion going and I got 53 pages of emails back of round and round the merry-go-round. And I wrote to them at the end and I said, I don't know what to do with this because I've, you know, I've been blocked at every turn and behind the scenes, this is not the intent. I didn't know you at the time, Pete, or I might've hired you and said, go for it. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, I, you know, I go back to the education piece and the advocacy, right? I don't want to spend my life doing public records act. So to the extent that 
we through Silent Majority Foundation can tell folks. And I've had plenty of people come to us and say, hey, I, I need these records. How do I get them? And we talk generically, okay, here, here's the process. What exactly are you looking for, right? What do you want in relation to the, what, you know, starting with what's the question you really want to ask? Because most time I get a question, I'm like, well, that's not going to be a public records act question. So let's narrow in on the question. So that's, again, that goes back to the education. Right. Let's help people understand how the public records act works. You know, for example, there's this five day window where they have to respond and confirm and then give a date. People are like, well, it's been six days and I don't have my records. Well, they responded on day two telling you they've got it. So they fulfilled their statutory obligation. Now it's going to take 55 days and that sucks (laughs) that you got to wait another 50 days. But, you know, I mean, I just had one that told me, uh, what did it tell me? It, It was so for OFM office financial management, the rulemaking that we worked on, with informed choice, Pacific Justice Institute, and Joy Lockerbie, the mm-hmm. governor's uh, directive, which it's for those who don't know, Governor Inslee issued Directive 22-13, then amended it to 13.1. That was the one that said, OFM, Office of Financial Management, you're going to create a vaccine man- mandate through rulemaking for all state employees currently and future. And and we worked with Informed Choice of Washington. We worked with Pacific Justice Institute. And we worked with Joy, and we drafted a response. And literally the next day, that that was that rule was pulled. The new directive was issued. So I think that's a tremendous success on our collaborative efforts. But I, as we sent that, I think literally as we were working on the letter to challenge that rulemaking, I sent in a Public Records Act on that issue. Uh, I got a response yesterday saying, oh, it's going to take till October. Um, oh, so I had already had a response that I thought it'd be sometime this month. Uh, and like I said, you know, I mean, so there, there's the component of, you know, getting, am I getting, you know, just sidetracked here or is there a legitimate basis? And, and one thing I always do, to me, it's always a negotiation. Um, when, when I get that email and I was buried in some work, we filed an awesome motion on behalf of Coast Guard members, you know, hopefully more Coast Guard members are going to stay in, um, because of the motion we filed in federal court, you know, it's in Texas in a free state. (laughs) Um, so intentionally so, um, so now that Texas is that motion for those Coast Guard members is behind me. Now I can go back and really like digest that email and say, what, what are they saying here? Right. You know, and typically it's a two sentence email, but there's more behind it. So now I can go back to the records person and say, well, listen, the rulemaking's already changed. I really need this information. And every once in a while, if, it, if it's to the point where I feel like I have to be hostile, I'll say, fine, you know, do I need to sue you to get this? Um, and, and obviously having my credentials helps me. Right. Again, mm-hmm. it goes to that conversation with the guy in the mirror. You can do this. You have, <laughs> you have the capability and the ability, you know, because. Mm-hmm. You know, for someone to to say, I'm going to sue you and, you know, they don't know if, you know, if you're not an attorney, they don't know that you have the resources to hire an attorney or not. Right. And and so I don't I don't bluff it. It's something that if I believe it's hostile enough, then I and I always bring in a basis like, well, under this case or under this statute, you owe me X, Y or Z. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the cool things when when uh, the state agency I worked for, I helped with their public records. So 
you know, I've been on both sides of this coin. When I when I work this issue, it's not that I just kind of have litigated it. It's I've been on the inside and the outside. And so that's the fun for me is is mm-hmm. getting all I care about is getting information and then getting good decisions on that. Yeah. You know, if 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 AIM were promoting vaccines that had no side effects, I would have no opposition. But guess what? Those don't exist. You know, right. and, right. and hopefully my kids aren't listening. They they exist with unicorns. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> although there's maybe historical evidence of unicorns, so maybe that's yeah. not. Even- <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there are the other things that I'd say exist, that, but you know, I don't want to ruin yeah. someone else's kids' day. No, that no, let's we can leave it at that. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm just so pleased that you had that conversation with yourself in the mirror. And, um, you know, here we on in, in Form Life Radio are always encouraging people to, you know, take stock of your life, look yourself in the mirror. And what can you do now? You're not not everybody is a Pete Serrano, not everybody's a Dr. X and not everybody's a Bernadette Loudmouth. Right. But we all have skills. We all have the ability sometimes just adding your your voice showing up an event you don't have to speak you don't have to you know but just add your presence and your support to all the actions going on and you know i know that there are a lot everybody's got their hand out in form twist washington we got our hand out right um but you know Pick something that you're passionate about that you believe is going to make a big difference in getting us our freedoms and creating the nation we need to be. Because I feel like so many of our freedoms had been stolen and we didn't notice. We were that frog that had been slow boiled. I mean, I think we lost a lot of toes before we woke up. Um, But we can get those back. So if uh, the Silent Majority Foundation, if what Pete is saying is speaking to some of our listeners today, you know, please go make them somebody that you regularly give to, even if it's a, just a little bit, but a little bit multiplied by a lot of people will keep Pete working and doing, you know, the good work that you're doing. I tell you, pre-COVID, Informed Twist Washington was working hard. Um, we had a lot of issues. We had the measles. In fact, that public records request I was talking about where they kept going in circles and they gave me no answers. It, I was trying to get um, any information uh, that would answer to um, who had measles and what community the measles outbreak was. And they were, they refused to tell me. And just the next week I ended up in a meeting with the um, then secretary of health, John Wiesman. And he presented me with a paper that he was so excited to give me. Oh, Bernadette, this is what you were asking for. This is what you want. It's like, you know, it's interesting that he was part of those 53 rounded around the mulberry bush um, back thing to my my public records request. But anyway, um, it wasn't what I asked for. It, it was generalities. I wanted to know specifically how many people outside the small isolated cultural community had measles. And he gave it to me and I said, it doesn't say, it doesn't say how many people outside this community who were using religious exemptions, not personal exemption. He says, Bernadette, it doesn't matter. I said, John, it does matter because you took away the personal right to say no to the MMR and everybody who had measles was using a religious exemption. Bernadette, it doesn't matter. It does matter, right? He he refused to tell me. So this... It, it's so infuriating to me because, you know, as a as a human being, you know, he, he's a decent person. 
Um, but I guess, um, you know, I, do, I don't like to make it personal. I think he truly believed he's doing the right thing. I guess that's what I want to say. I believe that there are evil people at the top, the Fauci's of this world, who really know this big ulterior motive. But I think that our public health agencies and the whole educational system is so corrupt and infiltrated with, you know, the, the pro pharma voice. Um, I spoke recently to a graduate class, a public health school of, they were at the graduate level and talking about COVID and ivermectin and stuff. One of these graduate students, so early twenties already had, you know, the bachelor's degree, what, you know, the degrees going up said to me, well, you know, since ivermectin so far has only been used in animals, how do we know that, you know, and I, I'm Ooh, looking at her like, um, no, it won a Nobel Prize for saving human lives. The, but she learned none of this at the University of right. Washington. She learned none of this at NPR that she probably listened to. Learned none of it from Como Cairo TV. Learned none of it from her professors. And that just shows the, the saturation. Um, so I try really hard to keep some grace in my heart. And when I say grace, now I always think of Scott Sherris, dear daughter, who was killed by the hospital system. But um, grace in my heart to not have ugly, mean thoughts about people who are trying to steal my freedom and, and you know, and who are promoting these very dangerous products because I know that they are caught up in this system. It's hard. It's hard to stay there. But I do encourage our side who we have emerged from this place of um, we know what it's like to be attacked and we can withstand that. We've been called anti-vaxxers and anti-science people for years. So, you know, name calling means nothing to us really. Um, but just try to keep that, that it gets harder and harder as the information gets. So, I mean, at what point do they wake up? They won't, many of them won't well, ever, but again. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you look at it, there are certainly motives, you know, power, money. Yeah. You know, this is one of the things I've talked often with Rob, the guy that I was working out with our other director about is I just it doesn't make sense to me. Like, yeah, you I can understand it. There's power, there's money, but it just doesn't appeal to me, I guess, is really fundamentally you know if someone said you could trade lives with fauci and he's going to retire on this huge pension and he's going to have lived really well and his mansion and then you know he's hanging out on yachts or whatever and traveled the world more than i have what does that matter it doesn't you know it doesn't you know i'm you know it's funny someone mentioned to me you don't see a a u-haul following a, a hearse right um, <laughs> you know, and that what it was I can't remember who said this to me it was like a week ago or two maybe and I said yeah it's, it's really kind of how you know you get the YOLO you only live once and that's like let's party it up but you know what I've got my YOLO going on and through Silent Majority Foundation I don't know what difference I'm going to make but you know we do have a religious foundation. We, we believe that uh, the Constitution was theologically developed, yeah. that it was inspired by God. You know, some people will debate me on that because you had some deists and other, you know, but fundamentally, even those men realized that there were some God given rights. That's why they wrote it in the Constitution. Yes. Yeah. And 
we feel like Salem Majority Foundation was created to protect the constitutional rights. And people argue with that, too, saying, well, aren't those fundamental rights given by God protected by the Constitution? Like, yeah, that's not a very good sales pitch. We're here to defect your, you know, yeah. your God given rights protected by the Constitution, protected by SMF. You know, <laughs> no, ultimately, yeah. we are here to make sure that those rights are continue, that, that they continue, period. Um, you know, I appreciate you bringing up the website. You can find it smfjb.org, smfjb.org. Listen, you mentioned donating. That is a tremendous way to keep us going. But I've asked people consistently for their prayers for us. Mm. Because I can tell you this, and mm -hmm. both of you have probably been in this place before where you're just like, man, yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. I, yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. Like, do I have to do this? You know, and you're like crawling out of bed or, or into bed sometimes saying, really, tomorrow I got to wake up and do this again. And then the next day I wake up and I am renewed and I'm refreshed or I get this email of someone who's like, hey, I saw you at an event, you know, back to your point. You know, I, I ask people three things, you know, if you can donate to us, great. That's awesome. It's the donate buttons there. It, if you can't, you can pray for us. And if you don't want to pray for us, show up. Because then I get the email that says, I was at your event and it really empowered me. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not just, I'm just a guy talking, you know, I'm not here to empower anyone, but I'm here yeah. to help. I love it. Just a guy talking. I'm just a girl talking. Dr. X is just a guy talking. This is what it takes. This is what makes America great. I said it. Yes. Um, yeah. And so, Pete, thank you. It's an honor to know you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to send you some money. Um, I'm not in Washington. I'm not going to show up for a while, but I'll send people your way. So, Appreciate it. Yeah. You've been listening to, uh, we, we've got another great hour. We're going to take a break um, and then we'll be back with some other amazing legal work going on. You're listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and TV. We'll be right back. I know. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. 
Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. Hello and welcome back to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. I'm your host Bernadette Pager and with me is Dr. X Javier Figueroa. Welcome back to our second hour Dr. X. Um, I just uh, uh, Nathan thank you I just one of our upcoming guests is having a little trouble connecting so I see that um, Nathan our wonderful producer will be working on that behind the scenes. So in the meantime you know we have a lot of great stuff to get through here, Dr. X. So I'm going to just jump right to it. I'm going to introduce the two people who are here while we wait for our third guest. So we have Oregon State Senator Dennis Linthicum, and I am told that he is proof that good men still exist in government. (laughs) And he's a hero and defender of health and freedom. Um, can you unmute yourself, um, Senator? Let's see if you're able to find your unmute. So while he tries to get his um, audio going, it's the first time I think they're joining us via StreamYard. So he's going to work on that. I'm going to bring on um, one a perennial favorite, and I know he's been on StreamYard before, so he this should be all set up for him. So I'm going to bring on Dr. Henry Ely, otherwise known as Dr. H. He's the founder of the Energetic Health Institute, the driving force behind what we're talking about today, which is the grand jury petition, and he's host of Energetic Health Radio. He's a hero and defender of health freedom. So uh, Dr. Ely's coming back. I guess he's, is he, there he is. Yay. There he is. What's up, Bernadette? How you doing? I'm so good. It's always wonderful to see you, my friend. What's up, Dr. X? Yeah. Um, so it looks like, um, Senator Linthicum's having a little bit of trouble unmuting himself. Um, you can hear us now, but we can't hear you. So if you can find your, there we go, sir. Can you say hello? We'll make sure we're hearing you. Yeah, I'm online. Fantastic. All righty. Um, so hopefully we will soon be getting our third guest who is Senator Kim Thatcher. Um, the wonderful Amber is this behind-the-scenes gal who helped orchestrate today's show with so many guests. Our our topic is very focused on the grand jury investigation, and she sent me 12 questions that I'm going to try to get through, okay? So I'm going to start with you, Dr. H., with question number one to introduce us to the idea. Please explain to us so I first I'll explain to the audience that there is this grand jury investigation that has been filed, a request for grand jury investigation mm-hmm. um, into 
CDC's actions during COVID-19, um, looking into their behaviors, into fraud and malfeasance um, that has occurred. So question number one, Dr. H, what are the factual allegations of this federal grand jury petition that has been filed? You know, uh, Bernadette, first of all, big aloha to everyone listening. Thank you so much for listening in today. And uh, thank you, Bernadette and Dr. X for having us here. We really appreciate it yet again. Um, so the facts of today are that we are, are alleging um, the several branches of our, our government committed um, criminal data fraud uh, relative to um, COVID death certificates and of course, case counts. Um, and that in doing so also uh, acts of willful misconduct, knew that they were doing wrong things and did them anyway, right? And I think what's been very interesting for those of us paying attention after and having the endurance to is Dr. Burks, uh, Deborah Burks published a book and admitted it uh, last mm -hmm. week, um, or I should say on uh, August 17th, a couple of weeks ago, it's been a blur. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, Rochelle Walensky, who's one of our named defendants admitted it. Um, she actually had a quote, which was very, very interesting. There was an internal memo that was sent out, a video memo that was uh, uh, sit, sent out to um, everybody at the CDC, right? I'm going to pull up this quote uh, for you uh, because it's it's really a stunning quote that she, admission that she has there. And I think it further confirms what we've been talking about with the data fraud. Now, for the audience listening, we have to keep in mind, there have been several events that have happened over the last year and a half. We've gotten Santa Clara County doing a, a partial audit of their death certificates and realizing that at least 25% were, um, were not COVID deaths. So that's admission of fraud. We had Alameda County doing the same thing in California and lowered the death certificate count, the COVID death count by 22%. That's again, admission of fraud. And these are partial audits of people that were car accidents, but counted as COVID deaths and things like that research that we published in October of 2020 showed that the overcount of COVID deaths was anywhere from 88.6% to 94%. And if we remember, the CDC admitted this and said, you know, 94% of all death certificates had on average 4.0 pre-existing conditions, 4.0 comorbidities. Well, then if we remember, the CDC did two things as well. Twice the CDC has lowered the COVID death count by a grand total of, I think it's about 172,000 deaths over the last year and a half. That's 172,000 admissions of fraud, right? So then Rochelle Walensky comes out and says this, Bernadette, um, on uh, August 17th. Remember, this is supposed to be an internal memo. Somebody at the CDC leaked this to, I think it was Bloomberg gets the credit for this. She says, quote, to be frank, we, the CDC, are responsible for some pretty dramatic, pretty public mistakes from testing to data to communications. Now, mm -hmm. as it goes in federal law, you can make mistakes in testing. You can make mistakes in communication. We've all done it. But according to federal law, the Information Quality Act, the Paperwork Reduction Act, and the Administrative Procedures Act you cannot make mistakes with data, especially of this magnitude, when there are significant harms to the American people as a result. So thanks to Senator Dennis Linthicum and thanks to Senator Kim Thatcher, 
we were able to file a petition in the Ninth Circuit Court in March. Now it's taken forever for them to respond, but they finally responded. And what we are arguing right now is very basic. We're arguing our right to get information to a grand jury. That's the argument. Because once we get this information and we submitted a 63 page petition fully cited with over a thousand pages of evidence, once that gets before a grand jury, they can investigate and they can start indicting people. And one thing that's really cool, they can actually expand the scope of their investigation to include other people that maybe we didn't name. Because we've named Rochelle Walensky, we've named um, Xavier Becerra, we've, these are heads of the CDC and the HHS. We've named the former head, Robert Redfield, who wants no part of this, believe me, we got him. And they've, we also named Alex A secretary head of the uh, uh, Health and Human Service. And one other person a lot of people don't know about, his name is Brian Moyer. And Brian Moyer is a national um, biostatistics system. So it's it's complex. So I, I give everybody, let me just distill it down. They knowingly did wrong things. They knowingly committed acts of data fraud. They knowingly did this because what do you need Bernadette to start and claim there is a public health emergency? You need dead bodies. Mm -hmm. and you need dead bodies in high numbers. And that's the only way to do that is to manipulate the death certificate and say that people who died from diabetes, who mm -hmm. died from kidney disease, to say that instead of dying from those things, they died from COVID. When in actuality, right. they died from their pre-existing conditions. Yeah, it was my understanding in talking with Joy Fritz, so I think you know Joy, mm -hmm. um, that prior to COVID, the, the instructions for filling out a death certificate, it would be something like, um, were it not for this pre-existing condition, the person would have handled that cold fine, that flu fine, COVID fine. They would not have died. It was the pre-existing condition that made that disease fatal. The disease itself, you know, was not um, to blame. And that's why the positioning of cause of death is as it is, because a healthy person would have survived it. This helps us better understand human health and, you know, and, and, you know, good data helps us make better decision and better public policy. But when you flip that around, you know, it, it gets it all wrong. So thank you so much for that. I want to welcome, I see we now have Senator Kim Thatcher has joined us. I'm so glad she got connected here. And I'm told that she has a rare combination of grit and grace. I love that. A heroine <laughs> and defender of health freedom. Welcome to an Informed Life Radio, Senator Thatcher. Nice to be with you. <laughs> Thank you um, for being here. And so, you know, time is limited and you three have such fabulous information and I've got a list of questions. Um, and sometimes I might bump around a little bit because I think you answered a couple of them already in what you, you told us, uh, Dr. H. But I would like to move over to Senator Linthicum now and, and ask you um, which federal criminal statutes are evidenced to have been violated by the named defendants. So Dr. H named all these people high up in the federal government. 
So what criminal statutes do we see that they have violated? We actually, this is a a giant question that we probably can't go into all the details because our our grand jury petition is 63 pages long, but we have statutes that are laid out. We've got the statute, the section, U.S. code, this and that. Here's the interesting thing. Um, The regulatory agencies within the CDC, the FDA, the federal government at large, whether it's the Department of Transportation or uh, the Environmental Protection Agency, all of these agencies are guided by several overarching uh, elements of federal law. One is called the Paperwork Reduction Act. Within that, there is the Information Quality Act. And the Information Quality Act is to issue guidance to all federal agencies that they have to ensure quality, objectivity, utility, and integrity of information that they disseminate to the public. This is their requirement. They have to make sure this data is accurate. And as Dr. H just described, we have all of these instances where they take the eraser and they say, oops, and they use the word, that was a glitch. They made a mistake. Oops, it's an honest mistake. What we're making in terms of our allegation is this wasn't an honest mistake. They purposely avoided one of the features of the Information Quality Act and the uh, Paperwork Reduction. Action Act, which says when you change a rule, you have to register it in the federal registry. You have to give two weeks notice before public comment gets accepted. And then the rule gets either adjudicated, modified, or put into regulation. They avoided those steps. And in the peer-reviewed paper that we, that we, we started with, which is um, comorbidity and data analysis for COVID-19, we document where they change the rules. They change the rules for filling out and completing a death certificate so that, um, you know, the all of the individuals who are completing those documents now have changed rules for how they're supposed to fill them out. And oddly enough, how they're supposed to fill them out turns out to be, say, COVID on line one and then say whatever else you want on line two. We don't care what that says. And they start adding up all the first line COVID references on the um, death certificates. And it looks like, oh, my, there's this giant flash in the pan of COVID uh, deaths specifically. And, and these are, we, we're making the contention, we're making the argument that these are deliberate, that they have purposely mm-hmm. participated in withholding safe and effective evidence that would have helped these people, but they called, they, they changed protocol for how you would treat these people. They changed how you would fill out a death certificate. And they basically locked down the economy and destroyed lives. And so we think this is worthy of an investigation. Absolutely. And, you know, it has revealed something a lot of us saw before, but it has been revealed so big time because we knew all of this in 2020. But you could not go to your local health department, to your state health department and say, look, you're getting bad guidance. They just said, we do whatever they say. 
So there are no checks and balances in public health. It's like you've got this monarchy tyranny at the top and everybody is afraid to be critical or think all the way down. It's been very frustrating to deal with. So um, I would like to move on to Senator Thatcher, if I could. So I've got this list of great questions. Um, and one in particular I would like to ask you is how did those who allegedly uh, Bernard doesn't say allegedly. I say they did it. Okay. Those who allegedly <laughs> committed the criminal data fraud and willful misconduct, how did they ensure mass compliance with their plan? I mean, I just named one thing, which is there's no checks and balances in public health. But, you know, what steps did they take to make sure everybody's just going to go along with what they did? They had quite a plan. It's very interesting. It's almost like it started back in 2013 when the modernization, quote-unquote, of the Smith-Month Act, which nobody knows what that is. But basically, it just said that the government is not allowed to produce programming within the United States because they were, uh, you know, they were afraid that the agencies would propagandize American people. So they <laughs> modernized it in the name of transparency. So, you know, we would know what our government's doing well. We know how that worked out. But then they backed it up in 2021 during a, uh, an amendment for a reconciliation bill. It was March 6, 2021. They allocated $1 billion to expend in, uh, through the CDC to strengthen vaccine confidence. And that would be <laughs> regarding not only vaccines licensed under the Public Health Service Act, so probably just all your mm -hmm. other... Um, regular vaccines, but also anything approved or not, excuse me, I'll use the correct word, authorized under the FDA. And there's a bunch of numbers. I won't read all those. But anyway, okay. it, it, was, it was for the purpose of improving rates of vaccination throughout the United States. And so mm -hmm. then you look on the CDC website and they have they have an actual section, a whole program called uh, strategies to reinforce confidence in COVID-19 vaccines. And they go on with reaching people where they are, how to tailor information to your specific audience. They, there's a whole big protocol, yes. and they put their tentacles everywhere around the United States, through all our media, through uh, you know radio, television, ads, billboards. We've seen it all. Safe and effective, safe and effective. And, and not only that, but in our social media and just anywhere. Oh, and then uh, it's kind of interesting what uh, uh, Senator Linthicum found, even in, uh, you know, a, a merchant's magazine, <laughs> trying to tell us that these are all safe and effective. And that's, that's how they did it. They spent the money. They set it up so that they could propagandize us. And they carried it out with a giant, very comprehensive plan. Yeah, and, and that's just on the, the social marketing propaganda side. There was also mm. all of the money being fed to the medical system to go along with whatever they said because they were highly rewarded. I've had um, mm. A.J. DePriest on the show, uh, Tennessee Liberty Network, who's done a deep dive, and, and her group is writing all these white papers showing the billions and billions. I think it adds up to trillions now of money flowing. And then they added that um, if, you're, if your loved one died of COVID, they would now pay for um, the, any funeral expenses. Right. Just um, through FEMA, Bernadette. That was that was if, if you know that was FEMA. Yeah, it was done through FEMA. I actually just interviewed Ernest uh, Ramirez. You know, and he's the the single dad whose yeah. son was murdered. Yes. Um, by the shots, 
you know, mm-hmm. um, and we were talking last night and he has this epic story. I mean, you just can't help but listen to him out without tears pouring with, out of your eyes. And the thing that was so appalling about this, Bernadette, it's going to I'm actually it's going to air on my radio show, Energetic Health Radio next week, next weekend. But it amounts to this. You have a grieving father who's just lost his son. They wouldn't let him get on the ambulance to go in with his son to the hospital. His, they come out and tell him his son is dead. Okay. He goes home and he has to scrape together whatever money he can to uh, produce a funeral. He does that. And then in, and in February, they, uh, you know, which is about six months later, FEMA contacts him and says, listen, if you'll change the death certificate, if you'll change it to say that he died because of COVID, we'll give you some money. And he said, mm. no, I won't do that. I'm not going to lie on a, on, a, on, a, on a government document for, for blood money. They contacted him. He has the emails, Bernadette. He's going to send them over to me and some attorneys already have them. Wow. They contacted him a second time. This is a grieving father who's lost everything he loves. I mean, his, this was his pride and joy, his life. And mm-hmm. while he's grieving, they tried it a second time and said, listen, have you changed your mind? We'll give you some money if you just change the death certificate to mm-hmm. say COVID. That's mm-hmm. beyond fraud at that time. That's beyond criminal data fraud. That's now into coercion. Okay. And mm-hmm. when we're talking about things like this, even one account of that is horrific. It has to be investigated. But the mm-hmm. question has to become how many other times has that occurred? Yeah. Yeah, you know, he's in my prayers every night. And I got a big T-shirt that, you know, he mm-hmm. has these T-shirts in a van. I got to meet yep. him um, in Nashville uh, this past year. He, he's, he's walking grief. Right. You know, I don't, I don't know how he pushes through each day, but I'm, I, he, I hope he knows how loved he is and prayed for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know he goes on to prevent this from happening to other parents, uh, yeah, what he is. experienced. Yeah. Um, so, can, you know, can I add, can yes. I add something to this conversation? Well, yes. while Kim was talking, she's, we don't have her picture. So I held up this, um, and my camera can't see catch it, yeah. but I can send you a text. This is from, uh, page 69 of the Costco connection. And we all know how many, uh, Kim described to meet people where they're at. So you're yeah. at Costco, you're a Costco member, you get the Costco connection and this is one of those documents and what and this is to ensure vaccine compliance and acceptance yes. uh, routine adult vaccines include influenza tetanus diphtheria pertussis measles mumps rubella varicella or chickenpox herpes zoster or shingles human papilloma papilloma virus pneumococcal hepatitis a and b menococcal a c w y and b um, and influenza type b now covid19 vaccine and boosters along with monkeypox vaccine can be added to this list <laughs> at costco and, yeah and and now this <laughs> this is a a billion dollars was allocated to making this um information available so the public could could consume it 
a billion dollars is a thousand million dollars for this one uh, propaganda campaign. And if you wonder why your schools, your local governments, your county commissioners, your state uh, legislators, if you're wondering why all of those organizations, your universities, they all towed the line is because they get so much funding out of the printing press in the Washington, D.C. basements that that money is cranking through all of those systems and none of them want to say, we've had enough, wait a minute, time out, this isn't right. Facebook, Google, Twitter, all of those guys are on board. We now see more and more information coming out about how the FBI has been abusing Facebook and yeah. um, with regard to other things. This has been going on for several years with regard to this issue. Yes. And we, we, we think uh, this, this is criminal negligence and um, criminal being, you know, maybe the original intent. But it, at the, on the negligence side, there's certainly malfeasance here. Yeah, and I've never understood why public health entities can say things about a pharmaceutical product that the own manufacturer is prohibited from saying because you can't back it up with science, you know, and we've got to stop that. We've got to uh, limit that in some way. Um, Senator Thatcher, I wanted to ask you, let's move back to this fabulous grand jury petition that you have. Can you explain to, to listeners and viewers what a grand jury can do and who sits on a grand jury? Well, okay, so we have a lot of checks and balances that were built into our government brilliantly by our founding fathers. Not only do we have the states and the federal government checking each other, we have grand juries that allow us, the people, to hold our government officials accountable, that we don't have to go through a gateway to have them approve a suit, a suit against them, which is what they're alleging right now. They're saying, hey, you know, the United States will approve when you can, you can sue us. That's basically what they're telling us. And what a grand jury does is go, it, it goes around that, all that. And that's how we hold our government officials accountable. And it's just normal, regular people that are pulled and put on a grand jury. And that's, that's the best way. That is how our government was set up. And we need to, we, we need to utilize that here and dust off that, that process because it's being buried, not taught in our, uh, our uh, lawyer schools, you know, where they're learning mm -hmm. how to be an attorney. And um, it's, it's just a process they want to bury and not, not let us use. And they are wrong. And that's yeah. why we are pushing forward with this, because that's how we are going to hold our government officials accountable. Now, you, you filed in Oregon. You're both um, Oregon senators, and you filed in Oregon. Does that mean that grand jury um, individuals who will be selected will come from, like, the voting voter polls or the records or whatever that's called in Oregon? Will it be Oregon-based? It, it, it will be Oregon-based. <laughs> It, it will be because Oregon is a federal district court. So it's the uh, attorney for the United States of America in the district of Oregon will be the one who, um, you know, the federal grand jury will get uh, uh, empowered within Oregon's district boundaries. Um, and so those will be there. People, people may understand this little anecdote um, 
a, our mailbox, I'm in rural Oregon in the middle of nowhere, our mailbox post with four or five mailboxes got run over one night. And you go out and you go, good grief, who did this and whatever. Um, it turns out that at two in the morning, a, a sheriff's office was coming around the turn too fast and took them out. You would never, the sheriff is supposed to report that. The sheriff is supposed to say, oops, we had an accident, uh, et cetera. But he told the officer, don't, don't mention it. We'll just get the car cleaned up and fixed in our maintenance yard and not to mention it. So the auditor in them, in, in the, you know, who's paying the bill says, what? I never saw any paperwork report on an accident from the sheriff's office. Now, how do you discover when the sheriff's office has gone afoul and the average citizen doesn't know how to do it. So what, what happened was a grand jury was impaneled quote, to investigate this allegation that some guy at 2.30 in the morning saw the sheriff's rig take out the mailboxes. And sure enough, it, that is how it happened. They So they call everybody together. They get the facts. They nail it down. They get confessions and whatever out of the sheriff's office and boom. Now, you, people have to realize we're talking a much bigger scale, larger scope, but it's the <laughs> same mindset when these bad actors who are government employees misbehave or are criminal or negligent in their fiduciary responsibility, it's up to us to call an investigation and hold them accountable. And so um, that that probably will help people just see, oh, yeah, how does okay. that work? That's that's fantastic. I just every day I be. I'm more impressed with our founding fathers and what they thought of. Um, Dr. H, I was reading in some of the paperwork that I was provided with something about the, the Oregon um, attorney. There's been like a change. Somebody was sent to Africa. <laughs> could, you, could you explain to me what's going on there and what that might mean? <laughs> Wow. Okay. Well, first of all, and, and just to build on what uh, Senator Linthicum just said uh, real quickly, that even though this is filed in the Ninth Circuit Court in Oregon and it's in U.S. District Court in Oregon, this is a national right. um, grand jury petition. So just anybody listening know that it, this doesn't just impact Oregon. This is for our entire country that we're doing this. And that's why I really want people to understand the brave work that Senator Dennis Linthicum and Senator Ken Thatcher are doing. There are good people in government and they're right here. Yeah. Um, and Oregon is not exactly what you would call, you know, a liberty <laughs> friendly state at this no. time. You guys are amazing. Um, and but I was I I learned to be such an admirer of some of you guys a couple of years ago. There was a bunch of you just like left the state in order not to oh, vote yeah, on yeah. some really bad legislation. That was amazing. Right. Okay, just just walk out. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so let's let's talk about the Honorable Scott Asfog, right? So in in uh, August of 2021, uh, Senator uh, Kim Thatcher, Senator Dennis Linthicum send a letter, a notification on official letterhead to the U.S. attorney for the District of Oregon. His name is Scott Asfog. They're saying to him, listen, we have found some pretty ugly stuff. We need you to take a look at it, and we need you to recommend that this goes before a grand jury. Instead of him doing that, he sent it immediately up to the Department of Justice in Washington. And when he did that, he basically violated his duty but he's now been informed by the senators of 
of, of wrongdoing. So now he's kind of complicit in this. This Department of Justice in Washington interacts with the senators and basically tells them to kick rocks, saying, we're, we're, we don't have to tell you anything. We're not going to investigate this. And if we did, we didn't have to say anything to you. So what you get is this incredible sense of hubris in our Justice Department. There, there's not a, they're not seeking justice. They're seeking control. Mm-hmm. And and so what happens is, you know, that's what kind of spurred us to say, well, let's file something in federal court and let's go pick a fight, you know, and they and both the senators are like, yeah, let's go pick a fight. And I was like, well, you're talking my language now. Let's go pick a fight. <laughs> so we go and pick a fight. And um, Scott Asfog is now named their defense for the defendants as their attorney. So instead of prosecuting them. He's now defending them, okay? And it gets better. It gets better. Okay? Because I think the DOJ realized that we can't have this dude defending these people. We got to get him out of here. So magically, the DOJ says, we got to reassign this dude. July 13th, they send out a notification that we're reassigning Scott Asfog as of July 17th. So from date of notification to getting him out of that position was four days. Okay. And guess where they reassign him to, Bernadette? Well, it was Nairobi, Nairobi, Kenya. Kenya. You're going to be, hey, you know what? We heard there's some good pina coladas and some great <laughs> music out in, out there. You go enjoy yourself and don't worry about this. We got it. And then they, but here's the other thing they did, Bernadette, which is so fascinating. You, you can't make this stuff up. They, they assigned a new U.S. attorney. And at the same time, they asked for more time. They said, give us till August 26 to file our response to this this um, case, this case that we filed, right? We've argued against it. The judge granted it. That's no big deal. They judges usually grant requests yeah. for extension of time. That's not a big deal, right? But they said specifically August 26. So it said August 26, you have to respond, defendants, new U.S. attorney, you have to respond. They didn't respond. So our attorney, Steve Jonkis, who's amazing, files a motion for a default judgment immediately. Right. Oh, we're wow. like, we were like, yeah, let's let's go get him. I'll, I'll take a default win. Shoot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Do you know they responded to that? Do you know what their argument as to why? to their excuse as to why they didn't file on time after having 120 days to do this, their response was, my dog was sick. Are you kidding me? No, that is an official <laughs> court document. Your Honor, the reason we missed our deadline was I, my doggy was sick. I thought we stopped doing that in the third grade, right? This is the Department of Justice. This for is God. the Department of Justice. <laughs> um, you know, I've I, used that before. My dog ate my homework. Yeah. <laughs> it worked you know, really I, well in third grade, didn't it, Senator? That's right. <laughs> the, 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 this entire government, as it exists right now, has it's like you know from the inauguration day when everybody dressed in handmade tail color and design outfits up until the dog, you know, prevented me from filing on time. It's like they are going to America. They're saying, we don't care. We're not even going to try to look legitimate. We're just going to 
do whatever we want. We're going to laugh at you. We're going to mock at you. And the people who are their spokespeople, okay, I got to be quiet. I told myself I wasn't going to talk too much this time. We got too much to cover. We got to move on. Most, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Let's, let's go. go. Let's let's go. go. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, I agree. So, who did they put, Dr. H, who did they put in his place? Who is this individual? Um, a, a woman by the name of Miss uh, White, I think. Is that right, Senator? Natalie K. Wright. Natalie K. Yeah. K. White. They put her in. We don't know much about her. And, and really, what, what's been interesting in their response, because they did file a motion to dismiss, and, and we can't give away strategy, obviously, and stuff like that. But what was very interesting was that they attempted to create some straw man arguments and then argue their straw mans, right? And what they also did was, in our opinion, they demonstrated that they don't understand what we're doing. And I think that's to our advantage because what we're doing is unprecedented. We cannot find any case law that is this, what we're doing, the, the senators and myself have ever been attempted. So we're doing, we're in unprecedented times and now we're seeking injustice in an unprecedented way. I think it fits the time. It, exactly. It really does. I'm so proud of all of you for what you're doing. And I'm so energized. I want to make sure that individuals know where they can find all this fabulous, fabulous information and where they can put their name down. Because what we need now is a million people, a million people signing up with this petition that's been created to show you are behind this grand jury. So go to Beyond the con con.com beyond the con.com and there you're going to find all of the information you can read the filing you can read all the accusations it is fabulous it is all there and then you can put your name down and say i stand with dr h and and the senators from oregon and i believe in truth and justice in the american way and go get them this is very exciting um so beyondthecon.com is where you need to go. Let's see. I've got another uh, question here. Um, well, this seems pretty obvious to me, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And I'm going to ask you, um, Senator Linthicum, why is this effort to get a grand jury convened so important for our nation and for you personally? The, you know, you, you made the comment earlier about loving the founding fathers and Dr. Ely referred to them. And, um, and, and I, I think, I think they deserve far more respect than they get today. Um, mm -hmm. Ben Rush, uh, a founding, uh, you know, father who lived from 1745 to 1813 made a quote that I think we bypass when we develop the constitution. And he said, unless we put medical freedom, he used the phrase medical freedom, unless we put medical freedom into the constitution, the time will come when medicine will organize into an undercover dictatorship to restrict the art of healing to one class of men and deny equal privilege to the others. And yes. then he said, all such laws of this sort would be un-American and despotic and have no place in a republic. The constitution of this republic should be made special privilege for medical freedom, as well as religious freedom, freedom of speech at all, the whole gang. 
And, and this is, I have six grandchildren and I'm in this for my grandchildren. This mm -hmm. is the future of our entire healthcare system. We have been jeopardized by the willful misconduct and um, bad actors that are involved in government positions. They've been misleading the public. They've been uh, misleading public opinion and stifling free information. And it's a wholesale usurpation of the fabric of our culture, the entire system, the whoop and wharf, everything that you and I have lived and known and understood is under attack with this um, uh, pandemic episode that we're dealing with. Yeah, beautifully said. Thank you. And Senator Thatcher, what about you? I think of my constituents, not only my grandkids, but my constituents who were, when we first closed, well, I say we, uh, when the government was closed down, was closing down businesses, was forcing kids to stay home from school, and all the trouble that was happening in their lives. And I just felt like, okay, this cure, so-called cure, is worse than the disease because you have people not getting diagnosed for mm -hmm. uh, things that could be treated. They're, you've got more child abuse. You've got more drug abuse, more depression, more, you know, the whole list goes on and on. And then you, you have these people that were treated as heroes on the front lines of COVID. And then once the vaccine came out, they were forced into having it. And if they didn't comply then they suffered. A lot of them suffered. Yeah. And I know I just heard from a lady yesterday who suffered a miscarriage at 33 weeks after mm -hmm. she had been coerced into getting the vaccination. And she mm -hmm. is suffering. And this suffering that is going on was so needless. It mm -hmm. is wrong. And that's why I keep fighting. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. You know, Dr. H, this isn't one of the questions on the list, but um, I do want to ask you this. It's very important. Are we now at a stage with the science of the good doctors and pathologists, um, you know, that are awake, where we can inform um, medical examiners what to look for? for COVID in vaccine, for COVID shot injury, so that some of this can be, they can stop, not be able to deny anymore the harm that is being done. Are we at that stage of knowing what tests to ask for? Uh, I, I'm not sure about tests, Bernadette, but definitely in terms of just gross autopsy and what to look for, we, we definitely are. Okay. Um, I think what's really important for people to understand is that um, autopsies have not been performed intentionally um, uh, during 2020, 2021, and 2022. It's like, what, what's the easiest way to, to say that something doesn't exist? Never look for it, right? Mm. And so I think the thing that we we really have to do is you, you have to rely on people. And I want to give him a big shout out right now, Dr. Ryan Cole. Um, mm -hmm. Dr. Ryan Cole has been under tremendous attack. He is an incredibly good person. And all he's doing is bringing to the table his expertise as a medical examiner. And I, I hope I'm not misrepresenting him. I, that's my understanding of, of his background. Uh, but that when we look at the bodies, it's, it's a person who's died. There are some telltale signs. And one of those are, is going to be um, clot formation, especially systemic clot formation. We have to accept an ugly truth right now. And that ugly truth is that these are gene modification shots, that they definitely reverse transcribe and upload into the DNA. 
They definitely allow for the spike protein to be produced by the human body now indefinitely. And we know that the spike protein injures not only the cell, but the inner lining of the blood vessels. So it makes sense that there would be blood clots. And I think when you start looking at that and if there was any pre-existing testing or about D-dimer levels and things like that, it is very easy to draw a one plus one equals two kind of conclusion. What happens in this day and age, Bernadette, that's so absolutely disgusting, especially when you talk to somebody like Ernest Ramirez and, and get his story, is that what these people are doing if they are even people, if we can even consider them people, they've certainly lost their compassion if they're people. What they are doing is using word salads to deflect and create these incredibly straw man-like arguments so that there's an argument, there's just, I can, it's like they, they, they want to control everyone's perception of these events. And what we have to do, and I think what we're doing an excellent job of doing is simplify it. This person here had four comorbidities. They had these comorbidities for over a decade. They contracted COVID. They died from the comorbidities. COVID was an initiating factor, but not didn't cause the death. That's how we do all death certificates. Mm-hmm. What's really appalling now, Bernadette, when you listen to the work of a, a recently filed uh, motion, uh, a, a case in uh, Massachusetts by John Bedouin, What you see with that is that in his exhibit F, what they're doing now is they're taking people who are dying from the shot, from the adverse events due to the shot, and they are labeling them as COVID deaths. Okay, so Mm -hmm. what we have to do is is stop for a second and ask a very simple question. And that is how many people have to die before a product is deemed unsafe? We are at well over, at the very minimum, 30,000 deaths, 1.3 million injuries reported. And we know that that reporting system is on a scale uh, of underreported by anywhere from five to 41 times, depending upon whether you're listening to the Columbia study or you're listening to Dr. Jessica Rose, who is impeccable Mm -hmm. in her work. So what you start doing with that is you understand that if we shut down an entire program in the 70s for swine flu with 56 deaths, that that sets the bar. There's there's our precedent. Mm-hmm. We're now at over 30,000. We have shot past the mark and we have nothing. It doesn't look like there's any stoppage in sight unless we do something. And that's why we're urging you to go to beyondthecon.com because everybody's been screaming recently, finally, justice, justice, justice. Somebody needs to do something. Well, Senator mm-hmm. Thatcher is doing something. Senator Dennis Linthicum is doing something. Our grand jury team and our research team is doing something. Give us your support. We want to earn it. Go yes. and read what we've done and back our play. And let's get these bastards. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I have um, a final question I'd like to ask all three of you. We've, we've got um, about six, seven more minutes. So just a couple minutes apiece. So um, Senator Thatcher, I'm going to begin with you. What are three things that you would recommend can be done to help rebuild trust in public health and governmental agencies? <laughs> well, for, the first thing that comes to my mind is, hey, 
health agencies and government quit being untrustworthy. And they were being <laughs> untrustworthy when they avoided the public process and changing the death certificate reporting. They they need to show their work. They need to back up what they're saying. And they weren't doing that. It's just It was just a matter of, oh, just trust us. And they wanted to suppress all the documents from Pfizer. We all, you know, that, that was, yeah. And then stop the pro- propaganda. I think those are some good basics right there. And then allow for our government to function as it was intended by our founding fathers, where there are these checks and balances and there aren't these little fiefdoms and, um, you know, where, where our checks and balances are being cut off by either yes. ignorance or intent you know it was malintent so mm-hmm. i think those are those are things that we can we can do and oh i just want to say too there's another way to get to the to the um website to sign the sign the documents uh on uh supporting the grand jury petition that is texting cdc data cdc space data to 52886 and the number is 52886 cdc space data CDC space data. Okay. Very good. Thank you so much for that. Those are excellent. I agree all the way. Uh, Senator Linthicum, what three things would you uh, believe we could do that may turn this boat around so we can improve trust in public health? First of all, I think the entire uh, public health uh, arena needs to be rethought. Um, Right now, we're following a socialist mandate where the government, uh, the politicians implement social policies, quote unquote, to help people. And um, healthcare, for example, medical healthcare should be based on you as an individual, you, you and your physician, your doctor, he sees you the right circumstance at the right time with the right uh, diagnostic, with the right dosage. COVID and this asymptomatic ghosting has been a horror show because everybody's asymptomatic. It's a little bit like everybody's a fascist or everybody's a racist or everybody's something or other. And um, so we need to uh, dismantle that. The propaganda that has been coming from the media and um, and government hand in hand, they, they've outlawed truth tellers. They've banned people from social media, from the Internet. They've taken control of the um, the discussion forums in the public sphere. What we need more than anything is we need freedom of religion, freedom to redress our government, freedom of speech, and freedom to be uh, safe and secure in our own homes, because otherwise these doctors and scientists and whatnot will show up at your door and say, you don't meet our safety requirement. Boom. And we saw that in Australia for Pete's sakes. Mm-hmm. We really did. Um, thank you so much for that. And now, uh, Dr. H, I'll give you the final word here on that question. What would you recommend we do to rebuild trust? Uh, number one, uh, you can't have trust without accountability. So uh, let's put these criminals in jail. OK, that's that's number one. We got to show everyone that there are consequences for wrongdoing. Number two, we got to hug the people who've been hurt. 
There are so many people who have been hurt and live their lives every day on the verge of committing suicide because they don't have an end in sight. And we cannot ostracize them from our society. And if if our tax dollars should go to anything, it should go to helping those people and not in the sense of just giving it to a hospital, but giving it to people who are actually doing the work so we can help these people. Because I know that the cells can be turned around. And then Mm -hmm. lastly, Bernadette, this is something I'm really passionate about. We have to get constitutional amendments put in place for what Senator Linthicum is talking about. We now have to take this off the table, this medical freedom, health freedom issue. It's no longer an issue. It's an inalienable right. And we are not going to surrender it to any murder for profit scams ever again in the future. Amen. I hear you. That's what I want to do. And I believe it, it begins at the local level begin to be active in your county governments and pass that legislation first, probably at the state level, and then let's get it at the federal level. But everywhere you can stand up, no more. We can't be complacent. We can't hide in our corners. It's going to take all of us working together. So beyondthecon.com, check it out, read the information, put your name down there, or you can text 52886. Text the word CDC space data to 52886 and you can sign up to support this fabulous grand jury petition. Let's get it done, people. Let's improve things. Let's take this nation back. Um, And our prayers to all of you um, and prayers for those been harmed um, through COVID. All right, Dr. X, real quick. Oh, just uh, I was wondering uh, now that uh, the the, the the attorney general failed in his duty. He is now also part of the uh, the grand jury investigation. I assume he can be. The grand jury is is a a tool and implement for the people that was upheld in the Supreme Court by Scalia in 1992. They can expand it and wherever they want to go with it. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you all so much for joining us on an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. Bless you all and hope to see you again soon. Take care. And that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day. Then look no further than the Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people by the people who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it healthcare voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today.
Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.